This is the Memory Palace. I'm Nate DeMeo. Has anyone ever been farther from home than Minnick Wallace? He was seven years old in the summer of 1897. One morning, he left his family's igloo and ran to the edge of the water, where he watched his father and a few other men paddle through the channels that the August sun had opened up in the ice. When they came back, hours later, they weren't alone. White men had rowed ashore from a ship on the horizon. At least one of them had dealt with Inuits in northern Greenland before. Robert Peary had been coming up there for years, trading guns and sewing needles for sled dogs and information that could help him find a route to the North Pole. He was obsessed with being the first person there. A lot of people were obsessed with being the first person there back then. Not the Inuits, though. They hadn't heard of the North Pole before people like Peary started showing up. And when they did, they weren't impressed. But back at home, between voyages, Peary would spend his time impressing New York's idle rich with his calloused hands and his weathered face and with the artifacts he brought back. In the fall of 1897, Minnick, his father, and four other people from their village were those artifacts. Now, they weren't kidnapped. The Inuits were told that they would see unimaginable wonders, lights, streets, stores, trains, smokestacks, restaurants, trees, crowds, and they did. Minnick had come from a tribe of fewer than 250 people, people who lived spread out over dozens of miles. And here, to meet their boat at the dock in Brooklyn, there were 30,000 arriving on bicycles, in carriages pulled by animals he could only assume were the biggest dogs he'd ever seen, and paying a quarter each just to get a look at the Eskimos. The Inuits were also told they would go back the next year. They would be studied by scientists at the Museum of Natural History. They'd be measured and weighed, and asked about their cultural practices and their diets and their family lives. And then they would return to those families, bearing things that would make things better for them. But they didn't. They got sick. They had no defense against tuberculosis. Minnick's father died, and Minnick was inconsolable and two other adults and one child died too. And Minnick was alone. He asked the people at the museum, people who were nice to him, people who felt terribly about what had happened to this boy in New York. He asked them to let him give his father a proper burial. So one night, Minnick and his caretakers performed an Inuit burial on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Seven years old and fatherless, Minnick moved in with William Wallace, the museum superintendent, and was raised as his son. At 15 years old, Minnick went to Wallace and asked him why the kids at school were suddenly making fun of him. And William Wallace had to tell Minnick Wallace the truth. Those kids had heard about the articles in the paper, the ones that said that Minnick's father wasn't actually buried that night eight years ago, that said seven-year-old Minnick had performed a sacred Inuit ceremony over a bag of rocks that Minnick's father had been dissected, that one of the museum's young scholars had won an academic prize for his study of the man's brain, that Minnick's father's bones were on display. Minnick asked for his father's bones. William Wallace asked for them too, though he never told Minnick that he had known what had happened to the boy's real father all along. Strangers wired the museum, people who remembered reading about the sad little Eskimo boy years ago, Strangers who were outraged to learn that this was where that little boy was now. 
The museum refused to hand over the bones. They denied they were there at all. Minnick asked Robert Peary, the man who had brought him and his father to New York, to help get his father's bones back. The best Peary could offer Minnick was a lift back home. There are two ends to this story. You find one at a moment in 1918, at the end of Minnick's life, when he dies in New Hampshire at the age of 28, as one of the 675,000 people killed in the United States by the global flu epidemic. The moment when he dies, surrounded by the family who took him in after wandering North America for years, going from odd job to odd job, trying to find his place in the world. You'll find another end at a moment in 1993, when Minnick's father's bones, finally released by the museum, were given the Inuit burial they deserved nearly 100 years after Robert Peary's ship brought the man and his son to that strange place a world away. But I'd like to finish this story at a different place, at some undocumented moment. 1913, maybe 1915, when Minnick was back in Greenland, a young man, all alone, even briefly, out in a hunter, out feeding his dogs, but alone, out in the perpetual darkness of the Arctic winter, out in the ice, under stars he could never truly see in Manhattan, with thoughts coming to him in two languages, one he'd had to relearn since he returned home. Nagging thoughts that would eventually lead him to decide that he didn't belong in Greenland either. Has anyone ever been farther away from home than Minnick Wallace? 